0: Murder in the North, episode 20, Madly in Love. Being in love is a wonderful feeling, especially when it's mutual. 24-year-old Freddie is about to experience how it feels. In 2005, he moves thousands of miles from South India to Sweden to do a degree in molecular biology. His poor Indian family scrimped and saved for years to give him the chance of a better life. Once in Sweden, Freddy meets 20-year-old Yelena, and love hits him like a bolt of lightning. You're listening to Murder in the North, a podcast about some of the most shocking murder cases in Scandinavia. Our account of these cases is based on sources in the public domain, including interviews, press releases, and court proceedings. Some narrative details were seen as irrelevant to the plot and therefore left out. This podcast series contains scenes of violence that some listeners may find distressing. You're listening to a true story, as researched by Jana Argaard and told by me, Jenna Sharp. Freddy is a nickname. His real name is Venkateshwar Reddy Pulagola. He's born and raised in rural South India, and his loving and somewhat overprotective parents have saved for years to enable their only child to study abroad. In 2005, 24-year-old Freddie arrives in a world that's totally new to him. In the small town of Skurftor in West Gotland, to be precise, which has a university specialising in subjects such as computer science and biochemistry. A bachelor's degree in molecular biology, that's Freddy's goal. But he has great difficulty following the lectures, which are taught in English. After a few months, he abandons his studies. And in 2006, he swaps the small town with its 30,000 inhabitants for Gothenburg. Gothenburg has a population of 500,000, two big universities, ...and an active nightlife. Freddy manages to secure two jobs here... ...one in the King's Head Bar... ...and another in Moulin Rouge, a strip club... ...where he works as a cleaner in the early hours. It's hard work, and Freddy has greater ambitions... ...and so he enrols on a module about Scandinavian culture... ...at Chalmers University. It's a kind of introductory course taught in English aimed at making studying in Sweden a bit easier for foreign students. All of Freddy's classmates are international students like him. Among them is the 20-year-old slender and dark-haired Jelena. Jelena is originally from Croatia, but during the Yugoslav wars, she and her parents lived in Germany for several years. After her parents' divorce, Jelena and her father moved to a small house in Ogulin, a town in northwestern Croatia. She's an industrious student and dreams of becoming a journalist. Alongside her studies, she likes to spend time with friends and also takes her job very seriously. She works as an au pair for a family living in a luxury villa in the upmarket neighborhood of Longodrag. The father of the household is the director of a big property firm, and Yelena receives full board and lodging, and even an allowance in exchange for looking after the couple's only child. And while her room may be in the basement, it's very spacious and has its own separate entrance and bathroom. Yelena is intelligent, a bit shy, and, according to many of her friends, always in a good mood. She's academically gifted, but not very confident, and even a bit immature and naive when it comes to judging people. Yelena is also a devout Catholic and still a virgin. But she does enjoy flirting a bit when she's out with her friends. 2007 gets off to a good start for Yelena. Her parents have agreed that she can stay in Gothenburg for another three months to improve her Swedish. She knows Freddy from the course on Scandinavian culture and because they live in the same neighborhood, they often bump into each other in the tram on their way to university. It's not long before Freddy falls in love with Yelena. When Freddy finishes his course just before Easter, he calls Yelena and messages her. To others, Freddy talks about Yelena as though she's his girlfriend, somebody he loves and sees a lot. But to Yelena, Freddy is no more than an acquaintance. She fancies someone else and doesn't reciprocate Freddy's passionate declarations of love. On the 8th of April... Freddy invites himself over for dinner at Yelena's house. The family she lives with is away on holiday. This Easter Sunday will be the last day Yelena is seen alive. Five days later, one of Yelena's female friends calls the emergency services. Nobody has heard from her for several days and she hasn't been to any of her lectures either. The police send a car to the luxury villa to see if she's all right. From the outside, they don't see anything unusual. The bins and the letterbox have been emptied and everything appears to be fine. Then the officers force their way into the house to see if Yelena really is okay. An unpleasant smell wafts up from the basement. Yelena's room is tidy, though. Boots and shoes are lined up against the wall. Keys and various textbooks are lying on the coffee table. And the contents of the chest of drawers look undisturbed, too. Strangely enough, both the fitted sheet and the duvet cover are missing. The police find them in the washing machine which is set to a 90-degree cycle, but the programme was never actually started. In the bathroom, behind a frosted glass door, they discover the body of the 20-year-old. She's lying on her stomach on the bathroom floor, dressed only in underwear and a T-shirt, with her hands handcuffed behind her back. Her fingers are spread and point to the ceiling. Dead spots, also known as liver mortis, or post-mortem lividity in medical terms, is one of the first visible signs of death in humans. They set in after half an hour. When the heart stops beating, gravity causes the blood in the body to sink, leading to purplish-red discoloration of the skin. During the first few hours, these blotches will fade when you press on them. But when a body remains in the same position for more than eight hours, or in Yelena's case, for several days, the red blood cells begin to burst, and the hemoglobin, which gives the cells their color, penetrates the surrounding tissue. Once that happens, the dead spots are fixed in place. Lividity is an important starting point for further analysis because it shows what position a person was in when they died. If, for example, the discoloration is not in the lowest parts of the body, it's a sign that the body was moved. The autopsy reveals that Yelena died of asphyxiation. The coroners believe that the perpetrator covered her nose and mouth and sat on top of her in order to constrict her airway. However, she must have put up a fierce fight as her sternum and one of her shoulder blades show signs of a struggle. Traces of sperm are found on Yelena's body as well as in her room. Watches, jewelry, and two expensive laptops are found to have been taken from the house, which suggests that the perpetrator took the time to search the property after the murder. When he left, he pulled the door shut behind him and locked it. The police analyze the data on Yelena's phone to find out who she's been in contact with. Freddy's number pops up several times. However, his attempts to get in touch with Yelena stop abruptly on Sunday the 8th of April. What's more, the police database reveals that Freddy is not unknown to them. When the police question Freddy for the first time, he appears to be in high spirits and cheerfully answers their questions about his whereabouts on the 8th of April. He states that he went shopping that afternoon, but neither the police nor the judge are convinced by Freddy's statements. He's remanded in custody, and the police reopen their investigation into two earlier allegations of rape against him. A month before Yelena's death, Freddy met a young girl at a bus stop. After chatting for a bit, Freddy asked her to help him write a cover letter for a job application. They agreed to meet the next day at Freddy's house. The girl brought a friend along, and he showed them porn and his collection of sex toys. They all drank wine and popped pills, and later the three went on to the Moulin Rouge, the strip club where Freddy worked. When one of the girls fell ill, she went home, She later claimed that Freddie spiked her drink and reported the incident to the police, but Freddie denied everything. A year earlier, a young girl reported him to the police for rape. It was said to have happened in the bathroom of the King's Head Bar, Freddie's other workplace. The girl had gone to the toilet and he followed her, forced the door open and raped her. He then took a photo of her on his phone. But again, Freddy categorically denies any involvement. The police decided not to press charges at the time. But this time around, the police can't ignore the facts. They find Yelena's digital camera in Freddy's house, as well as a public transport pass registered in her name. Analysis of Freddy's phone data reveals exactly where he has been and when, and so the police discover that he used Yelena's pass to travel on public transport. The two stolen laptops surface too, one at Freddy's house and the other at the home of one of his friends. Freddy tried to sell them both. In the face of all this evidence, Freddy is forced to make a confession of sorts. He tells the police that he and Yelena were a couple and that they had sex. Afterwards, they talked about money and Yelena began to scream. He put his hand over her mouth and didn't let go until she'd finally calmed down. That's when Freddy discovered that she was dead. He then dragged her to the bathroom and locked the door behind him. Freddy changes his story several times. He says he's mentally ill and claims that he didn't know what he was doing. The psychiatrists who evaluate him conclude that Freddy doesn't suffer from mental illness, but describe him as emotionally underdeveloped. Freddy denies deliberately killing Yelena, but admits to abusing her until she died. When the case comes before the court in 2007, the prosecution argues for a life sentence. The courtroom frequently erupts into chaos as Freddie behaves strangely, seems confused, and even breaks down. During the trial, he complains to the judge about his suffering. I want to die. I'm a heinous criminal. Hang me like Saddam Hussein. I can't live. yells at them both the court and later the appeals court decide they can't impose a life sentence Yelena's murder is a serious offense but the threshold for life imprisonment hasn't been met the judges on the case refer to the High Court's new interpretation of the Swedish penal code it recommends imposing a life sentence only in cases involving multiple victims. But the court's decision is not unanimous, as Freddy has been reported on two previous occasions for inappropriate behavior towards women. In the end, Freddy is sentenced to 11 years in prison for murder and rape. As soon as he has served his term, he will be deported from Sweden. Freddy appeals. He's prepared to accept a charge of involuntary manslaughter, but says he's not guilty of murder. He wants the custodial sentence to be commuted to a stay in a psychiatric institution. However, the Supreme Court upholds the earlier decision, 11 years behind bars. Yelena's body is released and flown to Croatia where her father arranges for her to be buried at the cemetery in the small town of Oculin. Freddy, meanwhile, is transferred to Kumla, a high-security prison which houses Sweden's most dangerous criminals. Here, he continues his efforts to secure a release, or at the very least, the right to serve his sentence in his home country. But because Sweden and India have no extradition treaty, His application is rejected. Instead, Freddy is transferred to Skogum prison outside Gothenburg, a special facility for prisoners who are guilty of sex offenses. During his time here, Freddy has to undergo treatment for convicted sex offenders and addicts. In December 2008, he sets fire to the mattress in his cell. The fire spreads to the corridor, and Freddy and the inmate in the cell next to his are taken to hospital with mild symptoms of smoke inhalation. They have no other injuries. In 2009, a court sentences him to a further 18 months in prison for arson. Freddy himself claims that the fire was a suicide attempt. Throughout much of his time in prison, Freddy struggles with his mental health and he repeatedly asks to be transferred. After the arson attempt, he spends time in high security prisons in Sulburga and Nortala, but he keeps applying for a transfer to an open prison. His applications are all rejected. In February 2014, after threatening two prison officers, he's also given an official warning. Freddy is not exactly a model prisoner, but despite his problematic behavior, like everybody else under Swedish law, he has a right to parole after serving two thirds of his penalty. And so on the 13th of August 2015, he is released. Or rather, the police collect him from his cell and take him straight to Arlanda Airport, outside Stockholm, where they put him on a flight to India. He's 33 years old, and after eight years behind bars, he's free to get on with his life in his home country. From Podimo, this is Murder in the North. A new episode every week, wherever you get podcasts. And for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.